Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Hello, hello, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of ClearCast. I'm Katie Keller, Editorial Communications Manager, and we at Clearance Jobs are excited to be hosting one of our trusted partners, Booz Allen, here on the podcast today. So October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. That was a collaboration between government and industry just to ensure that everyone is practicing good cyber hygiene, which is something we love to promote at clearancejobs.com. So Erin Weiss-Kaya is our guest. She is a strategist that is focused on cyber organization within Booz Allen Hamilton, and she's worked both in the private sector and the public sector. So she has said that the government should really focus less on technical skills or coding and more on people who are used to problem solving and stressful environments. So we're going to dive into topics on cyber hiring, maybe areas that are struggling to recruit and retain cybersecurity pros, certifications that may be required or experience that's stymieing cyber hiring today. So Erin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. So I always love to start with my guest. A little bit about you, your background. How did you get here to where you're at today? Sure. So um, first, not in technology. That is not my background. My background is actually uh, degree-wise, more focused on government and public administration. And I spent most of the early part of my career really focused on organizations focusing on their cultures and their people. And that evolved into focusing more on this one subsegment of folks and the unique and emerging space that cybersecurity was when I entered into it and really continues to evolve. And as you mentioned, I've had the opportunity as a management consultant to work with private companies, with federal agencies around the issue, and got deeper involved specifically in cyber as I helped lead what is now essentially a landmark development product, the National Initiative for Cybersecurity Education. They produce the Cybersecurity Workforce Framework. So that is the NIST standard for what is a cyber role. And that's where I've had the chance to work with agencies and then also work with my own company, Booz Allen, around the cyber talent issue. And, you know, Erin, I love that because when I was recruiting, you know, all of these programmers and systems engineers, cyber talent, I am not a programmer. I don't know how to code. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm talking the talk (laughs) and trying to walk the walk. So that completely resonates with me. Let's talk about cyber hiring problems in the DOD today. Can you give us a high level view of what you've learned in your experience? Yeah. And I think if it's okay, I'll talk about kind of the federal government at large, because I think the issues DOD face are really seeing them across the federal government. I mean, the number... One sort of first thing I would say coming out the gate is remove the idea that the biggest hiring problem is money, because it's not. You know, there's this really common misperception in the area that the federal government can't compete on compensation, and that's why they're dealing with the cyber gap that they're dealing with. And when we look at the numbers, I mean, there's some truth around that from an entry-level perspective, but it's really not the issue. They're being compensated at a market rate. What I'm seeing as the bigger problem 
And a couple of them being, you know, one, federal hiring regulations are older and they can look a little bit like working through your taxes if you don't know how to navigate them. And so helping agencies get more savvy at that. And what do you really do in order to get through those regulations to get to the talent that you need? That's definitely a reoccurring problem we're seeing. Another, you know, is the branding. There are, of course, some agencies that have a great brand. There are parts of DOD that would, and then parts of other departments that would, but overwhelmingly branding the federal government as being the place to land, if you're interested in cyber, is difficult for most of the government itself. So really thinking how you do that. And then there's a tendency of departments and agencies to not rethink how they're posting and hiring for these positions is different. It tends to be a bit of a post and wait mentality when it comes to hire. And cyber candidates, they're getting calls for new opportunities weekly. So you have to overcome kind of the post and wait mentality and really start thinking differently around what does it mean to source against this pool of candidates? How do you get through that long application process and all the qualifiers that are necessary to even be considered a candidate inside this space. And right now, I'm mean, going to use this analogy that it, you know, we're looking for essentially an Olympic size practice pool of candidates. And what we end up swimming in in the federal government looks more like a splash pad for a baby because we've tightened it so much. And that creates a lot of the, the hiccups around the hiring. Sure. I love that analogy. I'm going to have to steal that one. You know, it's it, it's really interesting, <laughs> though, because the federal government, when they put out requirements for some of these roles, these cyber roles that they're seeking talent for, they have these requirements that can sometimes seem arbitrary. And so you'd think that they would come up with some sort of type of skills assessment instead of having, you know, you have to have these certifications, you have to have this amount of experience. You, your perspective is, why don't we look at who can solve the problem? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, what I also often say is your typical cyber candidate, your typical cyber expert doesn't actually exist. We've we've talked previously, oh, the cyber warrior, and they're this unicorn, but it's really a very broad skill set. And I've mentioned in, in other conversations and from my perspective is that it is not purely technical in nature. Of course, there is technical aspects to success in cyber, but that can be learned. That can be built as long as you're willing to invest in a candidate through an upskilling program. And you don't have to restrict yourself to a technical degree in order to bring somebody in to the equation. Really, the individuals we're seeing be very successful in these roles, as you were mentioning kind of at the beginning of our call, are folks who are problem solvers. They're really individuals who are agile. They can multitask. They can be in these, like we were saying, these high stress environments. And, and essentially, they're effective communicators because they are communicating the implications of what they are seeing and collaborating with others to address the incident that may be occurring. And so we want to open up, or I would suggest what you want to do is be opening up those doors wider. And that doesn't say certifications lack value or education lacks value, but as you were saying, assessments are another mechanism for that. And there's two different kinds of assessments that I would also suggest would be under consideration. One is aptitude. You know, what I was just mentioning there those are not necessarily always skills that have to be tested as being in play, but they can also be viewed as an aptitude. And that 
is an area I've spoke with federal clients, and it's something that the government is exploring and looking at these selection-based assessment tools for their positions. And they do have to be legally defensible. They have to be built appropriately. But it's a means of really opening up the door for a bigger pool and increasing those points of entry. And then as you mentioned as well, the skill-based assessments are another means of allowing you to begin to see how are what someone has maybe already been taught to a point, how are they applying that? And how can we begin to test that earlier on as a mechanism for how are they going to perform in the job in the future? And again, if those are built correctly, they will at least tell us performance in the first year which is critical to your long-term success in a position. What do you believe generations have to do with it? You know, I, millennials are notorious job hoppers. Gen Z isn't necessarily chomping at the bit to get into the federal government. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, I think one, the federal government has to switch their mindset away from believing that this is going to be a long-term engagement of every employee that they hire, and that's okay. You know, we can look differently around the ideas of what does it mean to expand that opportunity for maybe it is, you know, a subset of a generation that really wants to have that change. Well, rotation programs are, are a great way to provide that kind of constant experience. I think that cyber individuals, particularly not just from a generation view, but from their sort of traits that we see come with that subset of workforce, they tend to be individuals who want to learn. They are early adopters of technology. They want to constantly be challenged. So providing for programs that allow for that, that still keep them within the federal government, I think are one of the keys for it. Uh, as you mentioned before, you know, how, how does the government make itself look like the more interesting employer? And I think that it's talking about the mission differently. Every one of our federal agencies have incredible missions that I think actually do appeal across generations and being able to talk about your mission and express how that creates a unique value proposition for that employee to have an impact on their environment. We're constantly hearing more and more about the generation coming out wanting to have a social impact on what they do. People are talking more and more about the great resignation of COVID and how people are looking to have an impact in what they do. And our federal government has that impact on a daily basis. It's being able to speak to that in a way that allows the candidate to see that opportunity and to see the mission and have that appeal that really stretches beyond maybe the couple of agencies right now that you know have, have an offensive mission that maybe looks particularly intriguing from an entertainment industry or the subset of a defensive mission that's, that's particularly appealing. I think that there's ways to rethink that and begin to do that. And we've seen a few agencies start to go down that path. Well, and you're exactly right. We do have agencies that have very intriguing missions and you, we're coming full circle because cybersecurity candidates or that talent, that workforce, they need to be able to communicate. Our agencies need to be able to communicate with the talent as well. It's a two-way street. So you talked about a few ways to combat some of these cyber hiring problems when it comes to talent within the federal government, mm -hmm. what will be even bigger cyber hiring problems in the next few decades if we don't rethink the hiring process that we see today? It's a really good question. And I would actually caveat that. And I wouldn't say decades. I, I'd say decade. I believe when it comes to cyber that we don't have decades to address the issue. I think without changing how we look at the roles today, and how we are defining them and finding the candidates and bringing them in the door, 
that we won't be in a position to keep up with the threats for tomorrow. You know, current hiring, we're already finding major gaps in the numbers, right? We've got a 0% unemployment rate that gets quoted on a regular basis. And with the speed of hiring need that we are currently right at that cusp of potentially repeating the previous mistakes of building an employee base who's unable to pivot to the emerging threat because it goes back to that same set of traits that we mentioned before. Are the individuals who can adapt? Are the individuals who are agile? Are the individuals who can move through these high stress environments? And if we hire for the position as described today, we may not be hiring for that individual. And that's the position we're going to need tomorrow. And we're already feeling that need come through right now with the cyber staff and you know the kinds of dynamic thinking they need. We've got emerging threats that are already very clear and present around the internet of things, around mobile devices. We can see just over the horizon, you know, 5G, um, artificial intelligence, the, the things that are coming down that pipeline in you know, next year to three years versus kind of decades out. And I think we have to change what our practice is today because in a few decades, we're going to feel the impact of the choices that were made today. Great reality check for myself. Decades. Oh my goodness. <laughs> You're so right. You know, we need to be able to match hiring and retaining the cyber talent because we do have adversarial threats. So you mentioned the unemployment rate for cybersecurity, 0%, but that workforce still needs to grow to be able to match these threats. So if we could talk a little bit, if you're willing to share some, some little golden nuggets, what can organizations do? Sure. So I think there's a lot. I really do think there are a lot of opportunities for organizations to make a shift that could help solve that. You know, when we think about the folks you've got on the ground today, when we rethink position management, how are you looking at your existing staff? And a simple example, take your high value assets. That's something in cybersecurity we zero in on. What are our highest value assets, right? What do we think we need to have the greatest protection around? And then an, an agency or an organization saying, well, are you aligning your highest performing cyber team against those HVAs or, or elsewhere? Um, so there's the, the folks on the ground. Additionally, some of the folks on the ground, and I'm working with more and more federal agencies that are looking at this, are reskilling and upskilling programs. You've got individuals who want to make the career change, who are intrigued by the possibility of the career change. With a small investment in a reskilling or an upskilling program, you've suddenly opened up the doors to an additional set of individuals being a part of this workforce. And you can use development assessments around that. We talked about them a little bit before. You know, we, we discussed them around it from a selection perspective. But we also use assessments from a development-based perspective, and you can use them in teams, environments, and you can still use them in individual environments. You know, sometimes these look like tabletop exercises that somebody's gone through or listeners seen before. Sometimes they're simulations in a lab environment, but we also use more traditional survey-based formats, and they all are an opportunity to really identify where you've got your gaps and keep improving an individual or a team's ability to perform in the role. And then when you're looking at where are you finding the new, where are you finding the ones coming in the door? We talked a moment ago about aptitude assessments, and I'm a believer that those are an opportunity. But I also think that both recruitment and retention are going to require a culture mindset shift. And you have to have that acceptance of the degree of turnover and the acceptance that your cyber folks are a unique subset of your employee base. 
and they are experiencing more stress than many other staff individuals. Of course, there are certain agencies within the federal government that have equivalent or higher levels, but they are a unique subset. And so virtual engagement of them, um, thinking about it as a unique employee experience and what does that employee experience look like for them? And some of the things that can be integrated in are what I was noting a little bit before, invest in the idea of them being a constant learner. Think about not just your tuition assistance programs that you have in policy, but those rotation-based programs. And then I've also started working with clients around apprenticeship-based programs and really offering early career entry through an apprenticeship model. So it goes back to what you were mentioning earlier. Do they have to come in the door with all those certifications? They have to come in the door with all the education packages. Not necessarily. If you begin to structure yourself with an apprentice or development-based program that allows an earlier entry, and then they grow into a step level of career. Um, so I think there are actually a lot of opportunities for agencies to be looking at this differently and organizations to be thinking about the staff differently. And pilots are one of my favorite things to mention. Try a pilot. Don't, you don't have to invest everything out the gate. Try a pilot. See if that's successful. And think, you know, have you established a mentorship program that's a mindset shift? Have you established a small assessment for just one of your roles and seen what kind of impact it has? And once that takes hold, I think you can begin to better align what that threat looks like and what your hiring and retention needs are really going to be going forward. Well, Aaron, and I'm glad you mentioned pilot programs because I think that was when you were just discussing all of these things, that was one of my biggest questions was some of these smaller contractors or organizations who feel that they don't have the resources to invest in some of these, start a pilot program and try it. All great, great nuggets of information. So do you think from a candidate perspective now, because organizations, you know, I'm a recruiter, of course I care about what, <laughs> what can recruiters do to better reach cyber talent and get these billets filled? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I hear the pain around it. You know, they're getting calls every day. So how, how do I get to the talent first? And how do I get them to want to choose my organization? I think number one is what you're already leading to is go where the talent is and don't wait for them to come to you. Uh, they're still definitely in working with federal agencies. I find a tendency to kind of the sit and wait, the post and wait mentality. And you just can't wait for a candidate to come to you. Um, you got to find them. And we have to remember that some of the really great cyber staff, they aren't on the same public sites that all recruiters have access to. They are in different places and you want to figure out how to establish a presence in those locations that they are, um, the sites that they're really playing within. And another thing I like to bring up, building relationships with some of the national centers of academic excellence. And not everybody is aware of these, but they're the CAEs in cybersecurity. And it's a program that was started, I think, I think we're at 10 or 11 years now. Don't quote me completely on that. <laughs> but, but it's a program that's been around for a while that really sets up two-year and four-year college degree programs. And creating relationships with those universities and colleges, both from the two-year associate's perspective and the four-year degree, creates a new kind of pipeline to, to find the talent that may be your entry-level talent or people who are in a career-changing space. So it's, it's not closing any of the doors, but really being willing to build the relationships and, and go beyond and find those individuals. Yes, partnership, partnerships between academia 
industry and government, some of those organizations or those groups, you're going to want to be a part of. I know a couple of nonprofits that are probably cybersecurity focused that are helping to build these pipelines for recruiters. Come on, you got to make those partnerships, those connections. Mm -hmm. It's very important. And I think it's easy for recruiters Mm -hmm. either to post and wait or be so head heads down in the weeds and source, 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 and not take the time to just network and make those meaningful connections that are, that are so important to recruiting for the federal government and those programs. Absolutely. So I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Aaron. I, I can't leave out the candidates though. So what's your one piece of advice for new cyber talent that's entering the job search today and may have an interest in national security careers? Okay. Well, I can never limit to just one, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try to go. Um, one, polish your communication skills and your problem solving. You know, it's not a spectator sport. This is a team sport. You want to be able to be an effective member of a team, collaborate and speak really well. And that'll put you up at the top of the applicant pile. I'd also say, look for mentors. You know, while while we're talking a team sport, it's still a technical field and it can feel isolating. And mentors are noted again and again by cyber staff that I speak with is really been critical to their development of their career, getting in the field, feeling like they are sustaining and growing in the field. And then the biggest thing I would say, and I think we've talked to this a little bit today already, is just be open to the opportunity. There are powerful missions across the entire federal government and private industry as well, of course. And, you know, some of them may not look immediately appealing at the first glance, but the opportunity for you to have impact is everywhere. And so just be open to hearing what that opportunity is. And look beyond maybe the first page of the book to really see what what that could bring for you, for what you want to do as an individual, um, and what you might be able to accomplish in that role. Wonderful. Communication, that's been a theme throughout this chit-chat. Making those connections, that's another theme. As these cyber threats continue to increase, it's more important than ever decade, not decades, for cyber leaders to employ effective hiring, training, and empowerment strategies to the current cyber workforce and those that are coming in. So Erin, I really appreciate you joining me today for this episode of Cleared Cast. It has been a pleasure. For more information on cyber hiring, on cyber careers, you can visit me.